And welcome back to another episode of the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed, alongside my terrific co-host, Mr. Jonah Tools. Jonah, how's everything going today? Man, everything's going swell over here, Jordan. You know, I'm ready for a whole new weekend of college football. I'll be at the Dallas Cowboys-Philadelphia Eagles game Sunday in Dallas. So everything's going good, my man. So is this your first trip to Jerry's World? No, not at all. Not at okay. all. See, okay, let, let me tell you a quick story real quick. Mm-hmm. So the last time I went to Jerry World was whenever the Cowboys played the Packers in the – was it, it was Dak and Zeke's rookie year was mm-hmm. when we went to the playoffs. That was the last time I went. So you could imagine me being a diehard Dallas Cowboys fan. My last time at AT&T Stadium was when they lost that heartbreaking playoff game. Jared Cook, toe tap. <laughs> You know, I still know how Aaron Rodgers was able to hold on to the ball when Jeff Heath basically strip-sacked him, then David Irving getting held by his neck. It's I don't want to bring up bad memories, but I'm going back. Uh, hopefully they can break the curse because I, I have not seen the Cowboys win in AT&T Stadium in the five times I've gone. So I'm 0-5 at AT&T Stadium. So we'll see if I'll, if I'll break the curse this week. Big game against the Eagles, big divisional game, see who takes the lead in the NFC East. So – um, it's a pivotal matchup for the Cowboys. Hopefully, I'm not the reason why they lose. <laughs> wow. So you're 0-5 at Jerry's World. 0-5. After, like, this, the third time, I probably would have stopped going because I, I figure if, I'm if they lose, If they lose to the Eagles, I will banish myself from that stadium. <laughs> As you should. But I've been to Jerry, Jerry's World actually one time. My dad yeah. is a huge Eagles fan, so – we took him down there on the Thanksgiving Day game when Mark I was Sanchez there. when Mark I, Sanchez was the star. I, I was yeah. there for that game. It's another game they lost while I was there. <laughs> Definitely a small world, but that that game wasn't even close. I think it ended up being like thirty to fourteen or something like that. It was, it was not. I think Nate Allen got an interception that yeah. game. I was just like, you gotta be kidding me, you know? Yeah. Sanchez was on absolute fire that game. <laughs> <laughs> the only game he played good all season. <laughs> right, right. Just so happened to be against the Cowboys. But everyone knows why we're here today. That's to talk about the college football action that is going on this weekend. But we'll get to that on the back end of the show. The first thing that we will talk about today is just going in detail about some risers and fall- fallers of the college football season this year. And we'll each give our own list. I'm sure we'll have some crossover here and there just because – Great minds think alike. We're going to have some guys that have been some really nice risers, a large riser so far this year. And, of course, you're going to have some guys who were disappointing in a sense and maybe some that have completely fallen off the rail. So with that being said, I want you to go through your list first as far as the risers. So who would you say are your three biggest risers right now? Yeah, and no problem. I mean, here's the deal. I mean, I don't want to go through all the big names that we've already discussed. I mean, we, I mean we've already discussed guys like Joe Burrow, LSU, this this is a guy that, you know, went from borderline undraftable with his 2018 tape to potentially becoming the number one pick, you know, with his 2019 tape. I don't think we've ever seen this kind of thing before. You tweeted out today about, you know, how – I don't know if we've ever seen this meteoric rise from someone in one year from the junior to senior year. Um, absolutely electric. The other guy is Jonathan Taylor, guy from Wisconsin. I don't want to touch more on him because, I mean, this guy is a Heisman front runner. I think he's clearly established himself as the best running back in this draft class. Um, along with DeAndre Swift and Travis Etienne. He's now in that same tier. Um, and then Jeffrey Okuda, this is a guy that is, I think, clearly the, the best cornerback in the draft. And, you know, he looked preseason is kind of a mystery because he didn't have any interceptions, didn't have any ball production. But I think he kind of dispelled those myths. 
So other than those big guys, I kind of want to mention guys that really haven't been talked about much in the draft community. Um, this is someone, the first guy I want to mention is someone I've really hyped up a lot, and that's Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma. I mean, this guy has risen from a day three developmental prospect to a legitimate first-round pick in the 2020 NFL draft. I mean, at 6'2", 243, he's a 4'6 athlete, and he's one of the strongest players in college football pound for pound. I mean, so the trait, I mean, the, the traits and physical profile have always been there for Murray. I mean, so but, but when you think about it, he's finally playing with confidence in his instincts and backfield processing instead of just relying on his athleticism. This development in his game only accentuates his freakish talent on the football field. And to me, it's a big reason why he's going to be drafted high in April. Um, and my second guy, that leads me to my second guy, very similar player in Baron Browning, the Ohio State linebacker. This is a guy that, you know, when you look at him, a 6'3", 245, Coming out of high school as a five-star recruit, ran a 4-5 in the 40. Talent has never been the question with this guy. But it, but for some reason, he never clicked under Urban Meyer in his first two seasons. But now in his junior season under new defensive coordinator Greg Madison, who came from Michigan, Browning's team is finally matching that talent. And like Murray, Browning is more confident in his reads and is playing a much smarter brand of football. And that's something that will get him. I think that, that gets scouts excited because now you see that talent accentuated on tape. Um, so consistency has always been his biggest issue, but now he's starting to channel all together. So those two linebackers for sure are two of my biggest risers. The last guy I want to mention is someone who's rarely talked about as a, you know, top prospect or whatever it may be. And that's Alex Highsmith, the pass rusher from Charlotte. Now his teammates call him Thanos. I don't know if you know this. They call him Thanos for a reason. This guy's an absolute freak of nature. At 6'3", 248, he yep. reportedly runs somewhere about the four sixes. And yet that doesn't even tell the complete story of how explosive this dude is. I mean, come on. I understand he plays at a smaller school like Charlotte, but his best games on tape are against legit power five competition. Mm-hmm. Last year it was against Tennessee. This season was disruptive all game against Clemson. I mean, I think Clemson's left tackle Jackson Carmen said Highsmith is the quickest rusher off the ball he's ever played against. So I think when you look at this, when it's all said and done, he could be this year's huge riser into the first round that no one talks about, just like Leighton Vanderesh coming out of Boise State at this time of year. So when we look back and say, okay, who are the guys with the biggest risers in college football? Alex Highsmith could be that guy that we've seen in the years past, like the Leighton Vanderesh's who move all the way up to the first round that no one expected. And some other guys I want to mention, kind of honorable mention guys, KJ Hamler from Penn State. This is an explosive playmaker with elite punt return uh, skill set. This guy, I think, is very similar to Mecole Hardman coming out of Georgia last year in that any given time he gets the ball could be a house call. Uh, I, I think he's really established himself as one of the most explosive playmakers in college football and could be an intriguing prospect in this um, upcoming draft. The next guy I want to mention is Laurel Murchison. He's a, a, a kind of like you know, one-gap penetrating three-technique, very athletic guy. Um, he already has seven, eight sacks on the season. This guy is a bona fide pass rusher on the interior. I think he's really helped himself out with a big – Big season. Um, and then the last guy I want to mention is Jeff Gladney from TCU. And I know because the Big 12 is high-octane stuff, you don't see a lot of good cornerback play. But Gladney's had a quietly good season. And whether it's with breaking up passes at the catch point, making plays, or just being straight-up physical and run support, I think it's one of the biggest um, – I think it's one of the most underrated parts of his game is how physical he is coming downhill. So those three guys, in addition to the two linebackers, Murray and Browning, and then the edge rusher and Highsmith – those are the guys I think you uh, the draft player needs to start looking at as guys who are underrated that are rising in the eyes of the NFL uh, front offices. And those are really good guys, especially Highsmith, a guy I actually watched last week. Um, not or excuse me, when they did play against Tennessee, I should say, uh, last year, and he really stuck out a lot. 
in that game. And I actually was watching Nate Davis a couple weeks ago, the third round pick, I believe, uh, from right. the Titans. From the Titans, and he really stuck out in that game as well. Just going back to that old film of reviewing against him, and then I flipped on the other side of the ball to watch their defense, and they really have some really nice pieces on that Charlotte team. And a guy that's really not being talked about a ton right now, but they have a left tackle that is really intriguing. His name is Cameron Clark. That's definitely a name to keep his eye on. I've watched him. He's good. He's good. He is. He he is very good. So I definitely he's a name I wrote down. And Charlotte has some really intriguing pieces, but. Just going on with my list, I have some very similar names. Of course, you hear the big names like Joe Burrow and Kenneth Murray. But staying with the secondary, I know you love your cornerback play. And one guy who I think has been a huge riser so far, and that's Sean Wade, the cornerback from Ohio State. That's an interesting name. And and Jeffrey Okuda gets a lot of love, and rightfully so. He's a really good player. But on the opposite side, Wade is doing a terrific job. Now, he's been playing a whole bunch of nickel for them so far just because Damon Arnett has really been a revelation this year, and a lot of people were thought, thought he was going to come out last year, but he didn't have the year that a lot of people were anticipating him having. And he's been playing on the outside for the most part, opposite of him, but they they play Wade a lot in that nickel position, and he's been manning that position really well, but he has the length to play either nickel or outside. I believe he's around six foot, 195 pounds, so he has that frame that you're looking for. He definitely has the speed to be able to run with guys, and he has those hips that you love to see when given a three-way go to be that nickel guy. He can move forward. He can move to either side, and, of course, he can backpedal, and he's very fluid, loves to come up and tackle. He has terrific ball skills as well. So Sean Wade is – when I was watching Akuda, Sean Wade definitely stuck – he stuck out a lot. So I'm interested to see exactly what his draft stock is just because he is only a redshirt sophomore, so he's a relatively young prospect and we'll see if he doesn't end up going back to school but we could see him being more one of the younger prospects in this class just because he is only a redshirt sophomore so do you have any thoughts on Wade or have you watched him in detail yeah let me ask you I'm I'm gonna ask you a question about this and Mm -hmm. you talk about him as one of the biggest risers do you think uh, this may be bold but do you think when it comes when we get to April we get to draft day that the two that the first two corners drafted Ohio State corners yeah, I think it's trending that way. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I was I just mean, about to say that. Think about it. Okuda is a freak of nature. This guy, I, I, I characterize him as someone, if you blend together Marshawn Lattimore's skill set and Denzel Ward's skill set and put them together, I think that's, that's what you get with Okuda. Wade is a little different. I think he's you know he's just one of those guys I think has a little more versatility, the inside out. Um, but, dude, I, he has all the tools as well. This Ohio State – I've declared Ohio State CBU. I don't know if I can declare them DBU yet because LSU has a strong case with those safeties. But Ohio State is definitely CBU with guys like oh, without question. With guys like Garyon Conley, Lattimore, yeah. Ward. I, mean, I wasn't a big fan of Eli Apple, but he still won the first round. I mean, they, they just you know turn out these guys year after year. And I ask you this question because it's just one of those things that like, I would not be surprised if both these guys end up going top 20. I mean, Sean Wade, no. both these guys are going to kill the combine. Absolutely. And I, and they've both put up great tape this year. They've been locked down all year. Uh, I really think it's a distinct possibility this could happen. I, I 100% agree with you just because everybody's so fixated on the Cuda right now. And I keep saying rightfully so because I think he's going to be by far my CB1 in this class. But oh, he's a monster. Yeah, he, he's very good. And there's going to be some people that can argue that Wade – might be the better prospect of the two just because everybody's so fixated on looking at Akuda right now. They're not really looking at the guy on the opposite side of him that really is holding his own for teams that are really a bit reluctant or shy 
about testing Akuda. So Sean Wade definitely is a name to keep an eye on. Now, the second riser that I do have, and I'm sure you you're a big fan of this guy as well, and that's Ashton Davis, the safety from Cal. And I love Ashton Davis just because I love his story. And if you don't know his story, he was mostly a track runner for the most part. And he worked his way up. He was a former walk-on, and he really was a nobody when he got on campus uh, at Cal Berkeley. And he worked his way up all the way to being a starter and, of course, being very good in that conference as well. And what you notice about him is that he he is the master or a jack-of-all-trades, I like to say. And his cover skills are so good. He's so fluid. He loves to come down and attack downhill. He's so aggressive. And he, he reminds me a bit of Harrison Smith. Now, I don't think his upside is as good as Harrison Smith, but as far as Harrison Smith light and how he's so good with coming off the edge as, as a blitzer, he can play single high, he can play double high as a guy that has half of the field in coverage, whether that's cover two or cover four, whichever you so, cho- so chose to do with him. I think he could play so many, so many roles, and that's why I love Aston Davis a lot. And I just love his story as well. But have you watched Ashton Davis? I think that Cal secondary is one of the best in the country. And I don't think it's just Ashton Davis either. You, yeah, like you said, the Cal secondary is loaded as a whole. I mean, there's a guy named Cam Bynum who has, you know, I think is a legit prospect too. And he plays cornerback. And, you know, you talk about Ashton Davis. This guy is, you know, when you look at just pure ath- you know, pure athleticism, this guy is going to be one of the freaks of this class. And I think that's what's going to drive him up draft boards. And, you know, it's – you mentioned him as one of the biggest risers because coming into this season, he was viewed more as like that, you know, fringe top 100 guy. Now you're starting to see him consistently in the first, second round of most mock drafts. And I think that's more where the NFL is at on him. Because you look at his skill set, you look at his athleticism and his up, untapped upside, because you talk about his track background, you know, he hasn't been fully invested in football for very long. And so when he starts, you know, making fo- football his full time investment, his full time job, it, you know, his potential is limitless. And I, I think teams are going to start realizing that, that, you know, he's, he's an ascending prospect. He is a guy that I think still has a ways to go technically, but that upside, that potential is going to intrigue a lot of NFL teams. So I'm glad you mentioned Ashton Davis here. Yeah, I'm really excited to see him finish this year and how he does end up doing in some postseason games as well, some bowl games. So Keep an eye on Ashton Davis, a player that could end up being a ultimate riser and end up being a back of the first half or back of the day one type of draft selection. I think that's very fair for him. I think at worst, he's going to be a day two guy. But my last riser, and this is one of my favorite prospects in this class. You know, I'm a huge diamond in the rough. I love searching schools and just finding guys that are just staying out amongst the talent. FCS, D2, D3, any of those guys. And his name is Kyle Duggar from Lenore Ryan. Now, they play him at safety, but I think he is definitely a linebacker. And if you just go and look at his games on YouTube, it looks like a man amongst boys. And have you seen Duggar play at all, like just a regular game or just his highlight tape? <laughs> I got to be honest with you, I have not. Did, so, here's, here's, here's the thing. I thought you were going to mention another FCS guy in the Georgia Southern corner. Vildor. He's a good yes. player as well. That, yes. that, that's what I thought you were going to mention. I know you like him quite a bit, but tell me about this guy from Lenore Ryan. Because I, I've not watched a single game on him. So I'm giving you some homework tonight before you go to sleep. All right. Whether it's a, if it's a YouTube highlight or <laughs> a game, just type in Kyle Duggar, and I want you to text me what you think of him. I got you. <laughs> I want you I to you. do that tonight. I, hey, I'll, he, I'll do that right after we get off this thing. I'll, I'll do that. He is an absolute freak show. So he's 6'2". He's 225 pounds, but he returns kickoffs and punts. 
He returned two punts last week. He was on Bruce Feldman's freak list. Bruce Feldman had him labeled this summer as running a 4-4-1. He jumped 40-plus inch on the vert. And also, he's going to test out this world at the Combine. And it wouldn't surprise me at all. And if you remember, now, Hassan Reddick wasn't a D2 or FCS guy, I should say, like 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 how Duggar is. But if you remember the type of rise that he made at the Senior Bowl, he really was an unknown coming into the week. But once teams started to get eyes on him and just saw how he was constantly dominating these practices week after or day after day, I should say, that's the type of rise I think Kyle Duggar could have. Just because I think he's playing at the wrong position right now. I don't think he's a safety just because he's not very fluid on the back end as far as in coverage. But as far as coming up and striking, being out in coverage as a linebacker as opposed to a safety, I think he definitely can do that. And I think he's going to be a supreme asset to any team's decent, uh, any team's defense, I should say. So that's your homework for the night. Please text <laughs> me what you think of him. <laughs> I cannot hey, wait to see your reaction. Because, like, because I trust your opinion on this, I'll do it just for you. You're going to be like, oh, my God. I'm mad I didn't watch this guy earlier. But before, <laughs> before we move on, I want to remind the listeners about Manscaped. Manscaped is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code locked on. That's at Manscaped, M A N S C A P E D.com. Again, use the code locked on to get 20% off and free shipping. So we're moving on to the next week of college football. And it's not as interesting of a week as far as the matchups as we saw a week ago with so hey, many. Oh, 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 are we, we going to touch on followers real quick? Are we going to touch on the controversial aspect of this? Because there's going to be some. Angry fans of college football teams and our mentions after this podcast drops because we got some controversial takes up in here. I got ahead of myself. That's my apology. So on the flip side of that, of course, we've done risers. Now we have to do follow uh, followers, I should say. I don't know why I said followers. <laughs> followers, I should say. <laughs> Those are say. all the Twitter followers in your mentions. Oh, yeah, man. You can't imagine the craziness that goes on in my mentions, but that's another story for another day. But <laughs> so, of course, I want you to start it out just because I just like to pick your brain and I want to see where your mind is. So, who yeah. are your three biggest fallers right now? Yeah, I'll, I'll ask for your feedback on each of these guys. And so, my first guy, you know, I know Georgia fans are going to kill me, but I, I think it's Jake Fromm, uh, the quarterback. Mm. And honestly, <laughs> I'll tell you why. And the more I watch from, the less comfortable I am projecting to be a capable starter in the National Football League. It's just everything about his game just screams average. And really, as I mentioned last week, his success at the next level will depend on the playmakers around him. And to me, that's not a quarterback you take in the first two rounds. I know, I know some talk about him in the first round, but he doesn't have the, the traits that others in that projected range do. Like Jordan Love, his projected range, you know, obviously he's not in the Burrow, Tagovailo, Herbert kind of range. But when we look at you know, that middle of the pack, like Love, Eason, Hurts, I don't think he has the traits to match up with those guys. So he has the production. He has the resume. Sure. I, I think he's one of those guys that the, NF, the NFL will value high just because of you know, his intangibles and that college resume he has as a winner. But at the same time, I just don't see him becoming – I just don't see him ever becoming more than a baseline starter in the NFL. And to me, I'm not going to gamble my draft or make him the face of my draft on that. And as we saw last week against South Carolina, 
he struggled, man. I, I really think Fromm has a lot has a lot more holes in his uh, in his projections next level than a lot of people realize. I think last week kind of exposed that. So I want to get your thoughts on Fromm in regards to his draft projection going forward. So I think with Fromm, I think this is the one quarterback of any outside of Jordan Love. I think there's going to be so many mixed opinions on just because I think it's really going to be a test of exactly what you value with quarterbacks and with Fromm, we know he's very accurate. He's very smart. He remains poised and he's made plenty of big time throws and big time moments, but you have to, you have to account for the ceiling with Jake Fromm. And we talk about guys like Tua Tagovailoa, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Jordan Love. And I think it's very clear that all of those guys have a higher ceiling than what Jake Fromm does have. But I think as far as the intangibles and some of the things that he brings to the table, as far as actual quarterbacking, I think he already has and he's ready-made right now. So there's going to be some coaches that are completely comfortable with that. And this is an analogy that I've been using plenty of times with Jake Fromm. While those other guys are home runs or they're triples, I think Jake Fromm is more of a guy that is a double or a single guy. If you're trying to just get on base and make sure you don't miss with the prospect, I think a coach is going to be comfortable, a front office is going to be comfortable with taking Jake Fromm as opposed to the risk, like with the two attack of Iloa, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, even Jordan Love to an extent. So there's going to be plenty of teams that are comfortable with drafting Jake Fromm just because of how safe of a prospect he is. And he has all the intangibles that you're looking for. He's going to come in ready-made from day one just because of what he went through at Georgia and what he's experienced with the Bulldogs. But as far as the upside, I don't think it's anywhere close to some of the other counterparts in this draft class. And, and let me ask you, let me ask you a question here. I think his ceiling is somewhere around like Kirk Cousins, right? I don't think it's going to be any more than a baseline starter. Where do you take that? If you're drafting a first round quarterback, you're expecting him to be to turn around your franchise. You're not drafting just a baseline starter in the first round. So I, I want to get your thoughts on, you know, where would you draft someone like that? Right, and that's why I said the last time we talked when we were doing the preview about Georgia and South Carolina is that I think he's a mixture of Kirk Cousins and Andy Dalton. And we saw Kirk Cousins went in the fourth round, I believe it was, and then Andy Dalton went in the middle of the second round. So we'll see where Fromm does end up going. But, of course, it only takes one team to fall in love with him. And I could see a team like maybe the Chargers or the Saints or somebody like that in the back half or the back end of the first round, maybe fall in love with him and end up taking him as the heir apparent to an already established quarterback. I could definitely see a situation like that happening, but, or we could see a heavy minded defensive coach really take a chance on Fromm just because of how safe he's going to be with the ball. And we know that he's going to have, or he has to have a bunch of weapons around him in order to succeed. He has to have a really strong support and cast like he has at Georgia. So another team that wouldn't surprise me that ends up liking him is a team that already has Kirk Cousins in the Minnesota Vikings if they do end up parting ways. Say that. If they do end up parting ways with Cousins, I could see that front office that likes to run the ball. They like to protect the ball and a heavy emphasis on that. They already have a very strong supporting cast with all the guys that they do have on that offensive cast and Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen and Devin uh, Dalvin Cook, I should say. Kyle Rudolph, Irv Smith, they have a bunch of weapons on their offense to where Jake Fromm could be that final piece to the puzzle, in a sense, that young, that final young piece to the to the puzzle, in a sense. So I definitely could see another team like the Vikings. I think that would be a really good fit as well. And, you know, I, I'm going to just for time, I'm going to go ahead and go to my second guy. I think we got a good conversation on Fromm there. I think I think our view, I think our listeners know what where we stand on Fromm here. Kind of a low ceiling, high floor kind of guy. 
but I don't think he's the guy you want to put as a face of your draft next right. cycle, if that's fair. So the next time I'm going to mention, and I'm playing with fire here, man. I mean, I'm talking about two of the most <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm talking about two of, the, two of my followers with two most rabid fan bases in all of college football. I'm going with Colin Johnson, Larson from Texas. And here's the thing. Let's get this straight. Colin Johnson is a mammoth-sized wide receiver. I mean, he, this guy is as dominant as, as the catch point as any prospect possibly in the country. I mean, before the season, he was, he was the top senior receiver in the 2020 draft. But, Jordan, man, I think I'm off the train now. I've seen it too many times. Too many times. You've seen it firsthand with Laquan Treadwell with the Vikings. I've seen it also with Josh Doxson. I've been burned by those guys several times and other big wide receivers who can't separate against man coverage. I mean – I've seen it too many times to go back to the well here. Um, and to me, I mean, the NFL is starting to shy away from these big wide receivers now. I mean, it, you know, think about it. DK Metcalf, was, he was my top wide receiver last year. But, you know, with his stiffness and his, you know, lack of production, I'd say, in terms of fighting against man coverage, he fell all the way to the bottom of the second round. And I had him as, as a top 10 prospect. But when you look at the reality of things, I think the NFL is starting to view these big wide receivers who can't separate a little differently now. And so, to me, I don't think and, – and Johnson's nowhere near as athletic as DK Metcalf was. He's not running the 4-3-3. He's probably running more closer to a 4-6-3. So, when you look combine all those factors, I think he's more of a fourth-round guy than opposed to the first, second-round guy as originally predicted before the season started. And I know a lot of Texas fans are going to yell at me on Twitter when this drops, but it's, I think it's just the reality of the NFL we live in now. I think Johnson's a great college receiver – but in terms of where the NFL is at right now, in terms of separating its man coverage and the more, you know, drafting better route runners, I just don't know if Colin Johnson is going to be highly valued in today's NFL. So it's very interesting that you said that just because of any player that's going to be at the Senior Bowl, I don't think it's going to be more important to anybody other than Colin Johnson. And I say that because that is going to be Scout's really first experience of him in a one-on-one type of environment and there's no better opportunity for him to prove that he can create separation than in those one-on-ones just because I'm not a huge fan of one-on-ones in practice but you really get to see how guys move around and how creative they are in their releases and I keep bringing up Terry McLaurin with that from last year and a lot of people really didn't hear about Terry McLaurin going into the draft or going into the senior bowl I should say last year but that's really where his rise really started just because you saw how well it could separate how great his hands were and how crafty he was with his releases with colin johnson he's on the flip side of that he's not a guy that has very crafty releases he's not very explosive but he can't jump out of the gym and he's more of a body i don't want to say body catch but he's more of a guy that really relies on making those go up and get it type of catches with bodies draped all over him if that makes sense he's not a master creator or a separator in a sense. But at the Senior Bowl, he's going to have a chance to prove that he can be that. So if he does end up getting an invite to the Senior Bowl, which I think he will just because of how much he has to prove, that is going to be a prime opportunity for him that could make or break his draft stop. And I, I, I want to clarify, when we say fallers, I, I don't mean like Johnson's had a terrible year. I want to say like, I just think it's more so like, he could have a big fall, let's say, in the pre-draft process. You just mentioned how the Senior Bowl is a big thing for him. If he doesn't separate one-on-ones at the Senior Bowl, okay, fine. One-on-ones aren't, aren't the best look for that. But then if he goes to the combine and runs a 4-6, then we're going to have to start having some issues. And Because I don't think you see that separation on tape, and then you, don't, then you see the lack of speed. 
I think there's a chance for Colin Johnson to really fall here. And that's why I'm really saying Johnson hasn't had a bad year. He's been banged up, but it's just one of those things where I'm not saying Johnson hasn't, you know, produced. It's more so when you look at projection, the next level, he may not go as high as you guys think. Um, so I'm going to move on to my third guy. And again, it's, this is not his fault. This is more so of injury purposes, but it's Bryce Hall from Virginia. We had that bad ankle injury last week, and it's just, you know, and to me, it's unfortunate because I thought he was one of the best senior quarterbacks in this draft class coming into this year. Um, big, physical dude, great ball skills. Um, but when you look at this season, I don't know if he was banged up all year, but he struggled a lot keeping up receivers vertically. So that I really had questions with him, you know, with, with hip tightness, especially against Florida State's Tamori and Terry. I mean, this guy, he really exposed Hall vertically multiple times in that game. So, I, again, I don't think it's a speed thing necessarily because I think Hall can run. I think it's more so a turning thing. You see tightness in his lower body, as is the case for most tall cornerbacks. But now then you factor in that ankle injury he just had, that's a huge thing for cornerbacks because that can have a lingering effect on his ability to move and plant on drive on the football. I mean, I'm worried, Jory. I'm worried. There's a chance he goes from yeah. first-round prospect in the preseason. To, that's basically where I had him. To now, like, a third- or fourth-round guy, yeah. depending on how his, how his ankle rehab. So, I, I'm I'm worried here. I, I want to see – I like Bryce Hall. I like his tape. But just the combination of that ankle injury and then some, you know, moments on tape, I guess, against Florida State, where he just didn't look like himself. So, I, I'm, I'm really worried that we don't get any more – looks at him going forward. And I still have a bad taste in my mouth about Bryce Hall and his projection right now. Yeah. And it's really unfortunate what happened to him. And I'm not so sure we're going to get to see him run at the combine just because we don't know what his timetable is uh, right now for his ankle injury. But I'm really hoping he does get to participate just because I think the measurables and the testing piece was going to be huge for him. And like you mentioned, he didn't, re he didn't really look comfortable this year turning and running. And there were just guys that were just outpacing him so easily. And even when he was beat deep and they caught the ball, he wasn't able to catch them in stride. So there were some speed questions with him. And he may, maybe would have been able to check some of those boxes if he is able to run at the combine. But, Bryce, if you're it, listening, we definitely are cheering for you, of course. Did you have something else? It, yeah, and let me clarify on the speed thing. And I think what a lot of people see, those big corners, they think they're just slow, right? But they see they they go to the combine and they run like four threes, four fours, like like the, oh they are they can move now. No 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 no. Because I think you're looking at linear speed as opposed to like that play speed and the turning and the in the hip tightness and the so like with a lot of tall corners, a lot of them have good linear speed. I, I think that's the case with Bryce Hall. I think Bryce Hall probably if he was healthy, I think he probably runs somewhere in the four fours, four fours or low four fives. Yeah. But I think yeah. when you look at his play speed. He plays more like a four-five-five, four-six guy because of that hip tightness. That's what you see with a lot of those big corners. So don't get fooled by so you know this is just for in general. Don't get fooled by you know those big corners running good times because when they play, they play a lot tighter than they do when they run in shorts. So that, that, is, that is my two cents on cornerback play. But just the two other guys, you know, I'm gonna give quick thoughts on Reggie Floyd from Virginia Tech. I don't think he's been himself this year. Um, to me, I just think progressively his game just hasn't improved. In fact, I think it's regressed since last year. Um, he's missing more tackles. He's playing a lot more undisciplined. I really wanted to see him own in on that kind of mental aspect of the game. He really hasn't done that. He's playing a lot more out of control this year. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. He, he was playing a lot more undisciplined. He got suspended for the first half of one of those games uh, in recent weeks. So 
I just think he needs to really, you know, own in on the mental aspect of the game and kind of get that figured out because I think he's regressed each year I've watched him. So I'm, I'm kind of worried about him going forward. So I, I had him as a top 60 guy going this, uh, going into the season. I haven't seen that at all from him. And it, right now it might be a long shot for him to be drafted in the top 100, to be honest with you, just off his tape. Raekwon Davis is another guy, but it's not necessarily – it's, it's more so – production-wise, because if you look at the tape, he's still making, he's still creating disruption, he's still doing his assignments, but, you know, when you look at it, he had eight and a half sacks two years ago. He's had one and a half sacks since then, in his last two years, and I'm not saying, you know, that that's, he's not creating disruption or nothing, I'm just saying NFL teams are going to look at that, and they're going to have questions, and it's not that, you know, his tape's bad, it's just that I think when you supplement the tape and the production, Teams are going to have questions about why he didn't produce in those last two years. And unless he turns it on, that's going to be a major question for him going forward, especially with the rise in like Marvin Wilson from Florida State, Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina, and then even Lerone Murchison who's having a big year. These are, and Neville Gallimore, too. So you look at all these guys who are producing big this year, whereas Davis, you know, while he may be quietly you know, having good tape, he, his production is not there. He hasn't had a sack all season, so it's just going to be – Interesting to see where the NFL values him, you know, in accordance with these other guys who are really producing. Yeah, and I'm right there with you. And you really have to dive into tape just to see the, the type of the type of impact that Raquan Davis is having. Even though it doesn't always show up in the box score, I think he's having a decent year. But he hasn't matched that that production that we saw when he did have those eight and a half sacks early on in his career. So. It'll be interesting to see exactly how the NFL does evaluate him and really how his career has transpired since that breakout year early on. But I'm going to give you one of mine just because I want to move on uh, from this subject and just because I want to spend a lot of time or a little bit of time, I should say, on our games of the week that we will preview. So my biggest follower right now and is Jared Pinckney, the tight end from Vanderbilt. And Interesting. We've talked about how there really hasn't been a consensus top tight end in this class, and a lot of opinions are all over the place right now. But in six games, he has 13 catches for 143 yards, and he has not gotten in the end zone after having seven touchdowns a year ago. He hasn't even gotten close to the end zone at all. And I think I need to dive into tape a little bit more just because I've only watched one game so far. But they just didn't push the ball to him at all. And if you have if you have a really good tight end like Pinckney has shown in the past, just because he got a first-round grade coming into the year from the advisory board, and a lot of people were really looking forward to seeing how he was going to build off of last year when he had over 700 receiving yards, and now he's not even touching 150. He's only, he's only up to 143 right now halfway through the season. So – you really have to investigate what's going on there. But I think other guys have stepped up, like Bryson Hopkins, who we saw had a fantastic uh, game last week, uh, the tight end for Purdue I'm talking about. And he's more of a flexed-out tight end, a move tight end like an Evan Ingram type. And then Hunter Bryant, who's having a really good year in Washington as well. So we're seeing some of these guys really outproduce him and also surpass him in a sense. So I need to dive into tape a little bit more and just find out exactly what's going on with Pinckney. And is it just a lack of production and them not pushing the ball to him, but just seeing those numbers and how low they were were really staggering. And, and here's my thing on this, and I agree with you on the production. It, it scares you, and it's one of those things where you're too talented to put up numbers like that, right? It's the same thing with Raekwon Davis, the same thing with all these guys, that they're too talented and they have too much traits to be putting up this few numbers. So with Pinckney, 
I think it's more so the quarterback change. And I know Kyle Shermer is not, you know, this guy wasn't a world beater last year, but this guy was at least was able to give Pinkney the ball in the right places, right? Riley Neal has been absolutely dreadful this year. I don't know if you've seen Vanderbilt play, like, play this year, but like yeah. Riley Neal has been absolutely <laughs> yeah. dreadful. Yeah. Like I thought this guy was going to be a potential senior bowl guy. He had a good year at Ball State last year, the transfer, but he's been awful. And I, I really, and, in all the Vanderbilt games I've seen, his ball placement has been out of whack. His decision-making has been terrible. I, I'm going to give Pinkney a pass here because of that. Because I, I, still, I still think you see those traits on tape and you still see him separating. And I think when you turn on the All-22, I think you'll see him getting separation on those on those throws. But it's one of those things where it's going to be it's, it's going to be difficult because Bryson Hopkins, like you said, big year. Hunter Bryant, big year. Jared Pinkney, bad year production-wise. So it's going to be interesting to stack up those guys together because I think Pinkney has the has the best traits of all those of the three guys I just mentioned there. But it, it, it's it's going to be a true test of traits versus production and how you blend those together. Because if you do that, then I think Bryson Hopkins and Hunter Bryant have a better case than Pinkney if you base off this year. If you don't base off this year and kind of throw this year away because of Riley Neal's lack of production. I think Pinkney is still in the race for the best tight end. To me, right now, if I had to, you know, update my big board right now, Pinkney would still be my top tight end. But don't get me wrong, Hopkins and Bryant are right on his tail. Definitely, I hundred percent agree with that. And I think I have it: Hopkins, then Pinkney, and then a guy we haven't even talked about that's having a better year this year. He's got in the end zone a lot, and that's Albert Okuwebanam. Albert O, as he as he's known in the draft community, but. Of course, we'll have plenty of time to get to certain positional things, but I want to get to this game preview, and we have five games we're going to get through. I want to fly through these games just because we don't like to keep this thing really long just because they can get a bit drawn out, and we know how much we love to talk about football, and we can get a bit long-winded. But going into the game of the week, and I'm going to switch up the order a little bit. I know I sent you a certain order, but I want to start at the top. And I think that's I think this game is probably labeled as the game of the week by most, and that's Oregon against Washington, just because of the quarterbacks that are, that are associated in this game. Of course, Justin Herbert for Oregon, and then Jacob Eason from Washington. Both quarterbacks have been a bit up and down. Now Herbert has been a much more consistent than Eason so far this year, just because he is a bit more experienced, and this is the first time Eason is actually playing live games in over a year, so he's been a bit more consistent. But Herbert. So here's my thing with Herbert, and I want to get your opinion on Herbert as well. I just feel like something is missing, and I don't know exactly what it is, but if you think about all the quarterbacks that he's matched up against in this class, all of them had, had have had their moments. We've had two in the national championship game a couple years ago. Joe Burrow has really shown out in a whole bunch of games this year. Jalen Hurts, of course, he's had moment after moment during this time at Alabama. And even though a guy like Jordan Love doesn't have his moment just because of the competition that he's playing in, the conference that he's playing in with Herbert, he's playing in a very competitive conference. But if you think about it, he just hasn't had that one shining moment that you'd like to see in the top flight quarterback prospect. And I just feel like there's something missing with him, but I just can't identify exactly what it is. So I want to get your overall thoughts on Herbert and where you are with him. Yeah, so I guess I'll be one of the last people to – stay on the Herbert train here because I really do think he has all the tools to be a franchise quarterback. And I know that Oregon and Herbert, they haven't had like the big year people thought they would have as like a college football playoff contender, but 
I gotta tell you, Herbert, I still think is the real deal. And he hasn't had that, like you say, he hasn't had that one shining moment like a Burrow or Tagovailo or even a Jalen Hurts. But I think that when you look at what he's done on, t- I think this would be a true test in scouting. It'll be a true test between: do you rather have like you know the flash, the you know more the big game production, the resume guys like Fromm, Burrow, Tagovailo, or would you rather have the you know next level trait guys? And that's Justin Herbert. I think it's very interesting to see where scouts are going to defer on that. Because I still think, and I still think there's a fair amount of NFL scouts, NFL scouts that will have Herbert as a top quarterback in this draft, um, just because of what he brings to the table, arm strength wise, arm talent wise. He's a very good athlete, um, and he's a high character guy. Probably has, you know, between him and Tua, those two guys probably have the best intangibles of any quarterback in this draft. So I, I really believe Herbert could still be the top quarterback on most teams' draft boards. So I'm not as worried as you are, but at the same time, I, th- I still think he needs to have that one signature game, and this could very well be it. And it's going to be interesting to see if he can, you know, really perform under the big stage like, like this one against Washington. And I'm definitely looking forward to this game just because we know Washington is always – they have a very talented defense, and this defensive secondary – is always going to be talented. And Washington has definitely become a bit of a DBU type of team over a type of program, I should say, over the past three or four so years. And that started out with Marcus Peters and even going back to last year with Taylor Rapp and also Byron Murphy as well. So they have a long lineage, and I'm sure I'm forgetting some other guys as well. But Buda Baker, a, my friend. Buda Baker, of course. How could I forget that? But they have a cornerback that I'm really interested in, and I'm not sure if you've dived into his film yet, and that's Keith Taylor. They, he is a name that I think scouts are going to like. Now, I do have some questions as far as how fast he is straight line, but as far as how good he is in zone and his instincts, I think they're definitely top-notch. And I think he's right around 6'3", 190 to 195 pounds. So he's more of a typical zone corner that likes to get his hands on guys at the line of scrimmage, and he can play a bit press man, but he has some struggles with running down the field. So I think he's probably going to be better with his back turned to the sideline as far as a zone corner that can just turn and run and keep everything in front of him. So Keith Taylor, that's another guy I'm giving you some homework on. Just let me know your thoughts on him. But Jacob Beeson, of course, flipping the side or flipping teams, I should say, uh, with Jacob Beeson, a guy that we saw how talented he was when he was at Georgia, but held off the job a little bit there before Jake Fromm ended up ultimately coming in and fulfilling his spot. And that ended up him eventually transferring back home. So, Jacob Beeson, a guy that I like to say can throw a football through through a keyhole in a sense just because he is not afraid to test tight windows at all. And I love seeing quarterbacks like that just because there's nothing that really shakes them. And what I mean by that is he has poise in all types of situations, but he makes some really bad mistakes at times. But he doesn't make the same mistake twice, and he, he definitely learns from it. And he's basically a freshman all over again just because he hasn't played football in over a year, just because he had to sit out last year, just because of fulfilling the transfer rules, uh, according to the NCAA, where he transferred from FBS to FBS school, Division One. So he has to sit out for that year last year. But I'm a big fan of Eason, but I just think he's a bit rough around the edges right now, just because he's still figuring out the game right now. So where are you at on Eason? I'm glad you mentioned that, because I think he's the perfect draft and stash quarterback in this draft. I, I think you like the Minnesota Vikings who have a fully guaranteed Cousins deal. You have the Chargers. Maybe Phil Rivers comes back. Drew Brees likely going to come back. Those three teams, I think Eason 
could be a real factor in the first round because, like you mentioned, he's basically a freshman all over again. I mean, you look at his Georgia tape to now, there's just not a lot of tape on him in, in that in-between uh, stage. And I, I think he, he needs to be rebuilt, I think. You know, but I think he's one of those guys where he has all the tools. You look at his arm talent, he has, the, he has good ball placement and flashes. Decision-making is a little inconsistent, but I think, you, like you mentioned earlier, he doesn't make the same, he doesn't make the same mistake twice. So I think he's learning. I think he's growing. But I think he's more of an ascending prospect than an established prospect at this point. And I think that's the perfect where you, what you want in a draft and stash quarterback. And I know a lot of people, you know, they have very short patience with their first-round picks. Yeah, like Dwayne Haskins is a great example. I mean, the Redskins fans are expecting him to be the savior of the team when he's clearly not ready. And I think Eason is kind of that, in that same mold of the Haskins. Through You're probably going to have to wait a year or two before you start seeing the benefits of that pick. I'm right there with you just because I want to see exactly who was interested in Eason and who's kind of hesitant about him just because I don't want to compare him to Josh Allen just because I think he's a bit more accurate than what Josh Allen was, but he has some very similar qualities and some similar traits as far as his game really being revolved around arm strength for the most part. But I think he has much more upside than what Allen has shown to this point. I think he's going to end up being a better prospect than what Josh Allen does. And I think he's definitely in line to be a first-round quarterback just because of what he brings to the table. And like you said, he definitely is that stash-and-keep type of quarterback that that you want behind an established veteran that he just isn't ready right now. But I would be very surprised if he does end up going back to school after this year just because of the upside. And we know amongst NFL scouts, arm strength is always going to be king just because it's something that you cannot teach. So keep an eye on Jacob Eason versus Justin Herbert in this matchup, even though they won't be directly going against each other. We're definitely going to keep an eye on both of those guys battling it out in that matchup out there out on the West. So the next game that I want to get to is Florida against South Carolina. South Carolina is coming off the big victory over Georgia. And of course, we know Florida. They're coming off the the defeat against LSU last year, even though it was a very exciting game. They went into Death Valley and took a heartbreaking defeat. But in this game, I'll have a a very close eye on Brian Edwards against C.J. Henderson. I think that's a very intriguing matchup, even though Brian Edwards, I think he's very talented, and I think he's more of a day-two type of wide receiver. He reminds me a bit of Demarius Thomas. More of that chiseled, rocked-up type of body that really turns into a running back after the catch. He's very strong at the catch point. But I really have some questions about his straight-line speed and just how fast he is and how great or how consistently he can separate. But I think this is a very good matchup going against a guy like C.J. Henderson, who's known to be a very talented man corner. So just want your overall thoughts on this Florida versus South Carolina matchup and some of the prospects you'll be having an eye on. And it was interesting. Great minds think alike because I had this exact matchup circled and highlighted from this game right here. Brian Edwards <laughs> versus C.J. Henderson. And it's interesting because you mentioned how Brian Edwards is like a running back with the ball in his hands, and that's his biggest strength is his you know, physical brand of football, right? With C.J. Henderson, what's his biggest weakness? It's the open field tackling. It's him basically breaking down when someone has the ball in his hands. He's best whenever he's in coverage and you can blanket receivers over the top with his speed and his length. But when he's forced to come downhill and, you know, break down, make an open field tackle, that's where he gets in a lot of trouble. That's where, you know, I have a lot of my doubts in terms of him becoming a first round prospect. But when you look outside of like Jeffrey Okuda, you know, Sean Wade, those guys, 
C.J. Henderson is probably the best pure cover corner in this draft, uh, other than those Ohio State guys. I mean, just look from his length standpoint, the speed, the hips. This guy can really, you know, re- read and react in terms of, you know, routes and man coverage. I like what C.J. Henderson brings to the table from a pure coverage standpoint. But this would be a big test for Henderson because Edwards, like he said, super physical, a big, strong dude. His play strength could very well overmatch Henderson in this game. It could expose him in front of a lot of scouts. So this would be a big game for scouts to go back to and watch in terms of C.J. Henderson's either, you know, inability to tackle or his progress in the, in the physical aspect of the game. So this is a big test for both Edwards in terms of separation and then, and then Henderson in terms of run as a run support guy and ability to, you know, tackle in the open field. So big test for both guys, and I'm glad you mentioned that matchup. Definitely some more intriguing matchups in that in that game as well. Jabari Zaniga and Jonathan Greener are expected to be back as well. So we'll see how they perform against that very talented South Carolina offensive line as well. But moving right along here, the next matchup we'll get into is Oklahoma against West Virginia. Another game that has some very intriguing wide receiver versus cornerback matchups, of course, CeeDee Lamb. And we'll see how he matches up against Keith Washington from West Virginia. I think that's right. their top that's their top corner right now. But a lot of people are expecting CD to dominate that matchup. But I want to see if he continues to step up and be that number one receiver like he showed in the Red River rivalry a week ago. So CD Lamb, of course, will have our eye on that. But Keith Washington has he has a lot of fans in the scouting community as well. We'll see if he continues to progress. But are there any other matchups that you have an eye on in this game? Yeah, I think you look at the running back linebacker matchup between. We already mentioned Kenneth Murray, right? I think you look at Kennedy McCoy from West Virginia, arguably their best playmaker. And I think you're going to see them, if not matched up one on one, you'll see them matched up sideline to sideline, whereas Murray's chasing them down. I, I think that'll be a big matchup to see because McCoy is one of those really slippery, slithery guys in the open field who can make you miss. And I think it'll be a good test for Murray to see if he can, you know, just continue his momentum as a guy who has been really reliable in run support. So that's really the matchup I want to watch is see if Murray can kind of, you know, mirror or so the the production of Kennedy McCoy and kind of shut him down that uh, West Virginia playmaking offense. Definitely. I'm interested in this matchup as well. I'm really looking forward to seeing if Jalen Hurts can bounce back a bit in a sense. And if, if he can play a bit of a cleaner game than what we saw last week, we saw him throw an interception or two last week in the Red River rivalry. And he has some turnovers that he has to clean up. And I thought he was a bit careless with the ball last week against Texas. So we'll see if he does dominate that matchup against West Virginia. But continuing to move right along here. Next matchup we have is Arizona State against Utah. A very intriguing matchup that I think they have a lot of individual matchups that we'll be keeping a close eye on. But the biggest one, of course, a guy we had not in this episode, but we talked about as a big riser on a previous episode, and that's Brandon Ayuk against Jalen Johnson. I think that's a very key matchup to keep an eye on just because these are two huge risers. Jalen Johnson had a lot of fans coming into the year, and he's proven to live up to the hype. Brandon Ayuk is having a, an outstanding year this year. And, of course, we cannot forget about Eno, Eno Benjamin, and I'm a huge fan of him right now. I love what he brings to the table as far as his skill set. So who are some other matchups that you're looking forward to in this game? Once again, you stole my matchup, Brandon Ayuk <laughs> versus Jalen Johnson. And I, I got to tell you, man, Ayuk has been one of my guys since the very beginning. I, I've loved his traits ever since coming out, ever since breaking out really last year at the end of the season. Because I, I think, you know, I think, you know, the last three games of the season, he really started to take on that number one role before Harry left. And I think he's thriving in that role for, as the replacement for Harry at Arizona State right now. 
He has a complete game. I mean, you look at his traits. I compared him to Michael Gallup because of how complete he is. His ability to stretch the field vertically. When he gets man coverage, a savvy route running, then obviously take any given play to the house with his playmaking production after the catch. I mean, we look at his stats. 65% of his yards this year are after the catch. If that's not an indicator of what he does, you know, with the ball in his hands, I don't know what it is. Because, I mean, Ayuk has been absurdly good this season. I mean, he wow. truly, he's just himself as one of the best senior wide receivers in the 2020 NFL draft. You know, like I said earlier, he, he faces a big test this week against Jalen Johnson. But I'm not as high on Johnson as others. I think he has a way to go technically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's more of a fringe top 100 guy, more so than, you know, a lot of my, you know, colleagues at the Draft Network um, that have more so in the top 50. I think he's more of that fourth round guy, more so than a second round dude. Um, he, he's had an up and down season, but make no mistake. I mean, this guy has a lot of talent and has probably as much talent as any quarterback in the Pac-12. He shut down Isaiah Hodgins last week from Oregon State. Big game there. Um, so this will be a battle between two potential top 100 picks. So I'm really interested to see how this one goes down because Johnson's coming after the big game. Uh, you clearly coming off a big game too. So it's interesting to see how these two match up against each other. Definitely, and I was a bit late on Ayuk, and I'm really mad that I was just because his film is very impressive, and I'm looking forward to seeing if he can continue his hot streak against a very talented Utah team. So we'll keep an eye on that, but the last matchup we're going to get to today, and that is Michigan against Penn State. And coming into the year, everyone thought this was going to be a trench warfare, and that's Yeter Gross Matos against a very talented Michigan offensive front, but... Let's just be honest. The Michigan offensive line is not playing very well right now for some of the names that they had coming back this year. And a lot of people were some fans of the players that they had up front. I was a huge fan of Cesar Ruiz and Ben Bredesen coming into the year, but they just haven't played well this year. And I think that's been the most surprising part about how disappointing Michigan has been so far this year. And even though they got a win against Illinois last week, it was Illinois. And there was a time where they did struggle in that game. But I'll have a close eye on Yuter Gross Matos against that Michigan offensive front. There wasn't any more huge individual battles that really caught my eye in this game, but maybe you saw something different. Is there any other matchups that, that may have caught your eye? How dare you, first of all, how dare you say there are no other individual matchups that caught your eye in this game? How dare you, Jordan? <laughs> I, I mean, I, honestly, KJ Hamler versus LaVert Hill, if LaVert Hill okay. plays, is okay. a big one. I'll KJ give you that one. See, two undersized guys with excellent speed and playmaking ability. Both are easily, I think, 4-3 athletes. And Lavert Hill, I think we'll see him at the Senior Bowl in Mobile. So this is a good matchup for him. And I think this would be one for the scouts to put back on tape to see very similar guys in similar roles. Because I think both guys are inside guys at the next level, I think we'd say. K.J. Hamler, very similar to Mikko Hardman. Lavert Hill, kind of more of a true nickel at the next level. So it's going to be very interesting to see these two matchup if Lavert Hill is healthy and ready to go in this one. The other one I want to mention is Donovan Peoples-Jones versus John Reed. And I yeah. know that this is, you know, I'm be, I know I'm, I'm a broken record here going with corners and wide receivers, but you know me, I'm a big corner and wide receiver guy. I, I love watching these matchups. And these are two legit NFL prospects here. Two guys that probably be drafted in the top 100. John Reed's had a big year. And we could see a little three Castro fields on Peoples-Jones as well. So I'll add three Castro fields to that as well. He's also had a big year in terms of being a zone coverage guy. Uh, making plays in there. But Peoples-Jones has all the traits. This guy has been a talented guy ever since coming out of high school, and he really hasn't been able to 
capitalize or maximize his talent at Michigan with bad quarterback play. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can get him the ball and get him going again this game because that could be the difference if Michigan wins this football game or not, depending on the playmakers like Donovan Peoples-Jones having a big game against guys like John Reed and Tariq Castro-Fields. I'm really upset. I didn't think about KJ Hamler and LeVert Hill for whatever reason. I forgot that <laughs> matchup. That is completely my fault. That is what happens when you record a podcast after midnight. <laughs> so, so I'll just I'll just go with that excuse. <laughs> I am ashamed of you. I am ashamed of you right now. I'm really upset about that. But that's another episode in the books. Of course, we just enjoy doing this podcast so much. Jonah's a terrific co-host, and I'm really glad that this partnership came together just because we have so many good things that's going to come on this podcast, and we're only in the season right now. We really haven't even got to draft season, and really our specialty once we get in the swing of things in that way. We can't wait to bring you guys unlimited coverage about things throughout the week, and remember, this is not just a college football podcast. Of course, we're going to get into some NFL issues like we did last week on last week's episode. Make sure to check that out if you have not done so already. And also, our specialty is the NFL draft. We're going to discuss plenty of draft topics like we normally do on this show. But I wanted to remind Jonah, watch Kyle Duggar as soon as we get off this podcast. Hey, I had that written down. You don't need to remind me. I got things going. I'm, gonna, I'm a grown adult. I can remember things. <laughs> don't be like me and forget the K.J. Hamler versus LeVert Hill matchup which might be one of the most intriguing of the week i'm really upset that i forgot about that but once again i am your co-host jordan reed also jonah tools we are signing out thank you guys for listening make sure to subscribe on itunes stitcher spotify we are officially on all platforms so make sure to do that also you can follow the twitter account for the podcast at locked on cfb once again on twitter that's locked on cfb you can also follow our work on the draftnetwork.com as well as our colleagues. Once again, thank you guys for listening. We are the Locked On College Football Podcast. We will see you next week.